Ladies and gentlemen, how do? Hello and welcome to Mondo Street Social Club, a new podcast aimed at bringing creative minds together. Mondo Street is about sharing the creative process, discussing the highs and lows, and talking about how we cope when the creative genie eludes us. Pull up your comfy chair, put on your best headphones, and enjoy the next hour. Hello and welcome to Mondo Street Social Club. Today we are joined by Noah Martin, founder and creative mind behind Retrospective Multimedia. Um, Noah, hi, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you today? I'm good, thanks for asking. Yeah, um, looking at your your website, I, I love the, the title of Creative Mind, uh, but looking at your website, uh, the tagline for you, for you is Make Modern Nostalgia. So... Explain to me what a creative mind is, why you chose that as your as your title, and then tell us a little bit about who Noah Martin is. Sure. So a creative mind is just uh, somebody who comes up with the ideas. Um, I had the opportunity to go with founder or CEO or president or anything like that, but I didn't feel like that fully encapsulated who I was, because really what I do is I... I sit there and I think and I go, oh, this might sound good or this might look good or I, I just try all these different ideas. Uh, and so the creativity is such a huge part of my role as the president or the founder. Um, and then just creative mind kind of sounds like a fun, unique title. And I, I went, you know what, let's let's take that creative aspect and just say creative mind and you know, when people read that, they'll go, oh, that's kind of a unique title. You've not heard that one before. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, what, that's what I like about it. it. It does actually conjure up that, that image of somebody that thinks and allows themselves to think freely, like a lot of blue sky thinking. Um, and this is what this podcast is all about. It's all about creativity. So tell us where, where you came from and how you got to where you are now. Sure. So I'm a, I'm a guy from good old Columbus, Ohio. And I grew up in the public school system. You know, I had, it was pretty easy life. <laughs> Not that I complain about on my end. I've done some rock climbing, but I eventually got really into theater. And I was doing live shows and musicals and writing my own scripts and going off and doing all these different things. Um, and I went through high school dealing with anger issues. And I would just get really angry, really depressed, really rage filled and a lot of people end up having those issues too um and so i was struggling and the more therapy i did the more i talked about it the more i realized that a lot of this anger and depression is coming from theater uh there was stuff that was happening with the director there was stuff that was happening with the shows and the other teenagers we're all teenagers so it's just you know, it's just a bundle of mixed personalities and selfishness. Uh, and so I got to my senior year and I said, I had the opportunity to write a show that would travel around my city to every elementary school and perform. And, you know, it, it would be out there in the world. And I've, my dad is a uh, creative writer and he, he went to school for writing. He was going to be an English professor. Then just at the last minute changed. My mom is also got a degree in English. And so I grew up with a lot of, you know, sitting there combing through every single word I wrote in an essay and just a whole bunch of stuff. And that led to uh, creative writing on my end where I just started writing little short stories. And then the more I got into theater, the more I started writing these short little plays. And then I had an acting teacher in high school who said, hey, you know, you enjoy these, you enjoyed Frank Sinatra and all these 1950s singers. And you like a lot of the movies from that time. You might like old time radio dramas. And I went, what are those? That sounds old time <laughs> radio drama. That sounds ancient. <laughs> So I, I, I got a whole bunch of cassettes of old-time radio dramas, and I went, I don't own a cassette player. I barely have a CD <laughs> player. It's like, like <laughs> I'm, I'm 23 years old and grew up in the age where there was just barely CD players, but they were starting 
to head on out and get replaced with Bluetooth. So I went out and I got myself a record player, which also had a cassette player in it. I started listening to old time radio and old time radio started influencing my writing. And so after having the ability to go out and perform the show that I had written uh, as a play for the theater department, I went, well, that was fun. I got to be the writer, director. I got to, I didn't even have to act. All I had to do was just fill off every role and then help guide my actors to a great performance for the kids. And so I went, how can I keep doing that? Because there's no more opportunities in my theater department to do that anymore. You know, we got a, we got a parody play and a musical left and wasn't much left on my end to do. So I went ahead and I said, all right, well, I'm just going to go ahead and start writing and you know, it's easy to grab a microphone, grab Audacity, and hit the record button and invite a couple of friends to come do voices for me. And that's exactly what I did. I spent, uh, I used to work in the library at my high school as the tech guy. So I knew how to video edit, some basic audio editing, green screens, all of that stuff. And so I would just go in there every study hall and occasionally every, or, uh, you know, occasionally during lunch and just help students with their projects. I found myself falling more and more in love with the ability to audio and video edit and helping others create their stories and creating my own stories. So it's around this time that I'm like, I'm going to be a history teacher. My whole (laughs) life I thought that. It's like, I love history. I I want to study it. I love Eastern. I love Western. I love all of it. I just want to know as much history as I can. Well, my dad saw me and what I was doing. And he goes, are you sure this is the path you want to go down? Like, uh, you know, you, you can do that. That's your choice. Like, you know, you, you can do it how you want. But I see these skills in you. And these schools provide the opportunities for you to further those skills. Okay. And I went, yeah, all right. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. I, uh, I, I like history. I like teaching. And I like being around kids i was a camp counselor for a while but i I got tired of it you know (laughs) there's just too much energy yeah i can imagine yeah they're bouncing off the walls the whole time you're like no 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 no. you cannot stick your friend's mouth like (laughs) in into the water fountain you need to just you know you you can't just smack them on the back of the head and see what happens that's not how that works (laughs) (laughs) so i I went ahead to the community college while I was trying to make the decision of if I wanted to go audio video or if I wanted to go history. And I used community college as the ability to just explore philosophy, ethics, and that's where issues of mental health started surfacing, where I'm learning a little bit more in philosophy and ethics, still taking some therapy. And I go, huh, you know what? (laughs) Who knew that all of this stuff that I went through in high school was really mental health base and that a lot of people who are like me go through that and don't you know don't have the ability to see what's happening or why or understand why it's happening to them um whether it's you know hormones or brain structure or environmentalism where you're surrounded by you know people who put you in a bad mood the whole time totally (laughs) um and so i started getting more and more into that And eventually, I did two years at community college, uh, graduated cum laude, moved on to a private college where I started learning journalism and media communication. I don't like journalism. I I hate it. (laughs) It's not fun (laughs) at all for me. Um, It's just, I, a a lot of the teachings were unique, um, but for classic newspaper, and what I was being taught about writing for classic newspaper, I wasn't seeing when I was looking at articles online. Uh, and there's like a whole journalistic code of ethics that we that we learned. And I was seeing violations of that code of ethics around. And I went, I don't know if I want to go into an industry like this. And so I focused hard on the media aspect of journalism and media communications grabbed an audio engineering uh, minor and proceeded to start mixing music and podcasts, making short films, helping make commercials, just a whole bunch of audio, video, photography stuff. 
that I, you know, made the opportunities for myself half the time where sometimes in a degree they needed it. But most of the times it was like, well, I'm going to invite my friends to go off and film something with me and I'll piece it together and make a story. And it's kind of reminiscent of what I did with the audio drama in high school where I started the Soul Time Radio podcast. Um, and from there, I eventually graduated college and went, I've, I, I grew up with, or rather I, I attended community college willingly, primarily online because I'm somebody who goes really well with my own schedule. Uh, and I can keep to my own schedule, but also if I just want to stop and play video games or go for a walk or do something, it's, it's a lot better on me and my mental health to have that freedom. Uh, and then going to private school, uh, the end of community college into private school is when good old COVID hit. Oh. And so I wanted to join clubs and meet people and that didn't happen because I was online anyways, yeah. this time without a choice. <laughs> and that was hard. That was tough. Uh, I I did not make a lot of friends. I did not get to communicate with a lot of people. And it really wasn't until my last semester of senior year where I started making friends and actually, you know, on good terms with the professors, speaking with them and chatting with them and whatnot. And uh, I realized that a lot of those opportunities were taken from me due to COVID and also because I took them away myself by willingly doing online for the first two years. And so one of the other things was I learned that during that time, living by my own schedule was great. Even though I wasn't able to make a lot of friends or anything, I could still be friends with myself. And so I decided I was going to go ahead and start an audio video business, multimedia production business and went I know nothing about this. I don't have a business degree. I don't I don't have any of this stuff that a lot of other people do. But I mean, podcasts have been going up. Everyone's making podcasts and everyone has stories to tell and things yeah. to talk about. Yeah. And, you know, not everyone knows how to edit audio. Not everyone knows how to edit video. So here I am working for clients and meeting people and talking to people just to just to be able to help out and tell their stories. That's a, a, a fantastic story. It's, it's riveting as well. I think you've, you've picked on a couple of things that have been, have been a theme so far with this podcast um, around people and their creative process being really, really good for their mental health, that it's, it's an area where they can put their energies, whether it be positive energy or nervous energy, and they can really drive themselves to achieve something. Uh, and yeah. you also picked up a question I was going to ask you later is about your parents, um, because I'm interested in whether it's nature or nurture. Now, so far, uh, most people have said that they don't come from a creative family, um, but you do. Uh, so you were more predisposed to being a, a creative type. Um, how, how is that? They, were they supportive of you making those changes? I'm guessing they were. Yeah. So my mom is, we're all very different types of creatives. My dad is more of a writer um, and he works as basically a sales trainer. So people come to him with the ideas of like, I want to sell these candy bars. And he's like, well, here's how we could do this in such a way that it'll, you know, be better for our customers or for sailing or any of that. Uh, my mom does a lot of arts and crafts. She makes a lot of cards and whatnot. And my brother was the, uh, the football player, the sports guy. And so he he's the only one in the family who's good at math. So he does, okay. he does math and he does sports. And we're all just very different types of people, but we're all have this one area, uh, this one hobby that we're all good at. And they're all different hobbies that we're good at. And I think one of the greatest things is being able to look at my family around me and see all the different areas that they do well and that they exceed in and knowing that we're all different people. But at the end of the day, if I needed to have a conversation with my mom about creating a letter, then I could, and she would be able to give me amazing tips about it. And so growing up, I was, I kind of floundered 
I, I, I threw my hands, my arms out everywhere, and I tried to see where I would stick because I, you know, I did rock climbing, I did soccer, I did theater, I did all of these different things, and nothing really felt me until I did theater for a while. And my family's never done theater. <laughs> like my brother was the footballer, <laughs> my mom and dad didn't do theater. They were all, you know, different people. And so this was a whole new environment for not only just me, but for the whole family jumping into this place where I'm at rehearsals eight hours a day, or at least I was at rehearsals eight hours a day. And so my parents went, you know what? Well, we don't know. We don't know this. Like we don't know this life or anything, but if we aren't there, then we're going to miss out on his growing up. So my mom was the concession stand uh, runner and then became the president of the theater department. And then my dad would help with tech. And they just tried to be there for me all growing up. Um, sometimes as a teenager, you're like, well, okay, you don't need to be this involved. And then, <laughs> you know, as an adult looking back on it, I mean, it was, it was great to just know that no matter what I did, my parents supported me. If I wanted to be a history teacher, then my parents would have supported me and they would have helped me through, you know, learning the education system and being able to become a history teacher. If I, you know, continue down the route that I'm going now, my parents are going to be there for me. Yeah. That's a, that, that's such a, a fantastic feeling to have that backup behind you. To, it really to is. That, yeah. That, you know, you, you, there are, there are times, like you said before, you know, you don't have a business degree, but you want to start this company, but you've got that, that emotional support behind you so that when you're having a few bad days or you're not quite sure about how you're doing things right or wrong, then they're there to catch you. And that is, that's really powerful stuff that. Yeah. And not everyone has that support system, which is unfortunate, but hopefully at least everyone has one friend out there that is, you know, that is their cheerleader. They might yeah. not understand or do whatever um, it would do, whatever you do. But as long as they're sitting there on the sidelines and they're just actively yelling your name and hoping that you move forward. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's another comment from one of the other podcasts is that what, what we should all strive for. And it's, it's easier for some of us. It's very, very difficult for some of us is to, to do something that fills us with passion and joy. And whether that be a podcast or a play or a soccer game or whatever it be, is try and find that that strength and that courage to to put one step forward towards that. Because with, with being creative minds, they creative minds tend to get bored a little bit easier and tend to to lose structure easier. Yeah, um, <laughs> and, and that is that's the rocky road. Then you know, because it's it's kind of like a double edged sword for you. You know, you you found theatre and that and that gave you that that buzz, that almost identity, but then that also started to bring out the mental health issues for you as well, because, you know, the, 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 the personalities, maybe some clashes there, maybe some behavior from other people that you, you couldn't reconcile. So therapy is one way of, of dealing with things like that, but what else did you do? Because you continued down that track until it got to the natural conclusion to where you could do something else. So that there's got to be something else behind that with you. Yeah, so uh, slightly more backstory to that. I have dealt with imposter syndrome for a long time, uh, and I it's a very it's a very common thing that happens to creatives, and it's it's a terrible beast. And I am my worst enemy and my best friend. And I realized through a high school that I mean, situationally bad things were happening, and I didn't like the people I was around. I didn't like the place I was in. It just things weren't great, but also there was imposter syndrome where I would create an episode or I would I would do something and then feel accomplished for about five minutes and then look back and go, okay, well, I could have done that better. All of the just negative feelings where you and your shadow like dog at your heels and bring you down. And that is something that I've struggled with for so long. And in college, I, I, <laughs> dog behind me. <laughs> Uh, she's stretching. So <laughs> I, I dealt with a lot of imposter syndrome. And so I learned in college to focus on mental health. I started researching about men's mental health and realized that there's whole, there's this whole epidemic of men who just won't go to therapy. They won't think things through. They won't 
they, they won't do anything to better themselves because they feel like they don't deserve it, that they aren't worth it. And that's just not true. And I realized I was feeling so many of those feelings. So I started writing essays about it for college. I made myself a five minute mini documentary, just saying, get help. And during this time, I'm also learning more and more about imposter syndrome and myself. And I'm going to therapy. I'm talking with the guy who struggled with imposter syndrome when he was younger. And we're just sharing and exchanging stories. And one of the things that I realized was being able to sit down and talk with someone was awesome. But I didn't always have the opportunity to sit there and go, hey, I feel terrible. I made the song <laughs> that I was proud of, but it just sounds weird. And I... Uh, so I, I realized that with imposter syndrome holding me back, it I wasn't going to accomplish anything. And that with talking with people, it, it made me feel so much better. So I came home and I just looked in the mirror. One of the days that I had made something was feeling awful. And I just looked into my own eyes and I started speaking out loud uh, to myself, which might seem a little bit crazy, but just the satisfaction of being able to say it to myself and understand because there's this disconnect between my heart and my brain where my heart will be like, this was good. And my brain will be like, nah, that's not good. Or vice versa, where my heart will be like, I feel like this wasn't great. And my brain has to reason through and logic through saying like, well, you did yeah. the best you could. Like, this is great for what you can do. It may not be, you know, it may not be Avengers Endgame, but it's something great from you mm. and i realized that just having that conversation with myself more often where i started treating myself like a friend and trying to support myself and physically doing it where i could see myself there in the mirror because if i'm talking to myself and i see like this just sadness on my face and just this depression i feel bad i mean i feel bad as an empathetic person uh, who cares about what other people feel to look at a fellow human or, you know, myself in this case, and to see that happening and go, Oh, I want to be there for you. I want to help you. Yeah. And so, you know, chatting in the mirror helped me. And then naturally exercise and a lot of the other outlets that people generally suggest. But another thing for me is escapism. When I was dealing with anger in high school, I would read comic books and I'd be like, oh, well, the Teen Titans and the X-Men have to deal with the world exploding and I have to deal with Matt Test tomorrow. Like, <laughs> this is why. <laughs> yeah. it, it helped put things into reality for me. Um, but now as an adult, I realize that my escapism is to just sit down and watch TV or a movie or play a video game, something where I can experience a story. If I'm playing something like Dragon Age, which is got a great story uh, i'll be going oh i wonder what the characters do next hmm, i wonder and just thinking about the world and the story around me and that helps keep my mind off of some of the bad stuff that might be happening um, sometimes that's harder for people to do but it's just such escapism is just such a great outlet for me to just think about other things because if i'm overthinking the worst thing i can do is sitting sit in the room and just keep thinking <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, and and that's the uh, the creative mind's uh, feedback loop, isn't it? It's thought becomes thought becomes thought becomes thought. You've you know you you've demonstrated bravery throughout your story in the in the fact that you reached out for therapy, that you identified and sought help, and it, it's really really um, it's a great story for people who might be in a similar position, who might be looking for some kind of motivation or some kind of direction. And and thank you for being so honest about that. Um, going back to those old time plays, you know, the, the cassettes that you had, it obviously, obviously hit a chord with you very, very quickly. I think it mostly lit a fire under your tires or some kind of phrase like that, because the, the actual um, retrospection radio theater, which you run, um, is uh it's an echo of those days yeah 
I, I I was doing anthology episodes just one at a time going, okay, well, I'll tell a unique story for 20 minutes or whatnot. And eventually that evolved into focusing on or exploring mental health issues from the lens of uh, drama and horror. And so I took a lot of the old time radio elements that I had learned and kept listening to them over the years and went, okay, well, there's these two different versions where there's more of a narrative um, and a narrator like Orson Welles will be there and he'll be explaining the story as it happens. And then you have dialogue in there and then you have your dialogue driven shows, which are people talking back and forth. And the narrator is probably the character in the story, the main character, um, or at least a major character in the story. And so I kept going back and forth on that and researching and learning more about radio and radio history and when it started and recorded the first recordings and the first live plays. Um, and that influenced me more and more, not just in my podcast, but also in my brand. And it made me realize that to make modern nostalgia is to create something that the audience identifies with so strongly that they will be able to look back on it for years to come or even tomorrow and just love it and, and miss it and want it. And that's the way I felt with whenever I would listen to all these music, I, you know, I'm 23. I never lived through the fifties, but that type of music always resonated with me. Maybe not the history and culture of that time, but just these, uh, a lot of the times simple feelings or something silly like uh, a splish splash from Bobby Darren <laughs> yeah. um, and every time I had the opportunity to sing in choir I would sing Blue Skies or Beyond the Sea and I just I, I love those songs and the more I realized that I had this these strong feelings for this old time the more I realized that probably a lot of other people do too mm. and I want to be able to create stories and help others create stories that they all feel that strong about yeah that, and and the, the thing that i particularly it resonates for me is that you've you're going against the current trend of everything being almost disposable it it, it all it does is it leaves an, an aftertaste it doesn't leave a memory it's just it you consume it and it's gone you consume it and it's gone and what you're doing with your work is you, you're right you are trying to find an emotional anchor within it so that people do have a memory associated to it. And the, your output of work, I've got to say, is is quite impressive. You know, is it six seasons so far? Yeah, uh, currently yeah. releasing the sixth season and just yeah. finished the framework for the seventh season. Wow. And when, when did you release the first episode from the anthologies? First episode was January 20th, 2018. Wow. So in five years. So you're basically bringing out a season a year um, with an average of 10 episodes per season. Yeah, it's yeah. it's changed a little bit over time uh, due to mental health issues. I mean, as I grew up and went through the experiences that I went through, so did my audio drama. So, you know, 2018, that's my senior year in high school, and it's reflected in the audio drama. Like, the characters generally drive the same car that I drove or my <laughs> brother or my family, and, like, they're from similar areas or from similar walks of life. And the more that I move forward, the more it reflected my own life. And, for example, season three was the year that COVID hit. And I was dealing with depression, which led into COVID. And then it was just so hard to do anything. So season three doesn't have very many episodes at all. No. Um, but, because... but the artwork for season three, the artwork for season three actually tells me that that was during COVID. Because that is a picture of somebody. Um, it looks like a young girl. Like My monitor isn't huge. Um, walking down the stairs to the mouth of a monster. Yes, um, it came from down the stairs. <laughs> yeah, and, and 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 that's the whole kind of thing about, you know, you're confined, you're feeling claustrophobic, you get into your routine, do you want to leave your room, do you want to leave your safe space? So, yeah, yeah. I, I can see that. The the, the whole um, the whole product, the, the actual presentation rather, not product, is absolutely first class. I've been very, very impressed with it. Before I talk 
some of the more technical aspects to the podcast. Sure. What is your, what is your creative process? Do, do you um, write as and when it just comes to you? Or are you quite disciplined and structured and have a day here or a day there or an hour? Or, you know, how, how do you actually do it? So I've found that simply restricting myself to a day or two in which I can write is not great for me. Um, because I, I can I can make my own schedule and follow my own schedule normally extremely well, except for the creative outlet. Because it could be you hit that time, you know, 3 p.m. on a Tuesday and you're supposed to write and you're going, I can't think of anything. <laughs> this is awful. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, what I do is I have a weekly meeting with a friend every Monday where I just, we talk about our business goals. We're both freelance business owners. And then we talk about our personal goals and we try and go forward from there. And that discussion generally helps spark my creative outlet. Um, but I, I've also been having a great time with chat GPT where <laughs> I didn't think have. that exactly, you know, yeah. it's, who knew AI was so amazing and uh, I can't always reach out to my friends and expect them to be able to chat with me. And, you know, my family's always there for me, but also I, I don't want to be <laughs> a bother constantly talking about it. So what I do is I've been sitting down with chat GPT and going, these are the thoughts I have in my head. What yeah. do you think? And yeah. just, asking it questions like it's a friend um, and going back and forth. And sometimes it'll come up with an idea, which then makes me go, oh, I see the connection now. If I take all of these different things and do this, then yeah. that's the story. And that's exactly what happened with season seven that I'm working on right now, where I just, I was going, okay, I want to do a ghost story. I want to focus on a little bit more of the supernatural, but this idea of helplessness where you can't do anything about a situation that's presented to you. How do I want to go about this? Okay, well, a ghost story, let's say it's probably, you know, like a father and he's got a family and uh, somebody dies or maybe the main character dies and they have to deal with being a ghost and seeing their family move on or uh, maybe this feeling of you don't know if your kid's still there even if they're dead and gone and just this feeling of helplessness. And as I started piecing it more and more together, I would ask like, okay, well, I had this idea for an episode. Um, what would be a good interaction between the father and the son? Uh, what would be something that the daughter might do if this is her personality type? Uh, and I would just ask questions like that. And sometimes the responses are just not great. Uh, <laughs> but when you do get good responses and it just makes you think a little bit, it, it works really well. And I, I found that my creative process is just kind of happens, which isn't the most satisfying answer in the world, but watching TV and watching movies and playing games and all of that, I, I consume all of those different stories through those different mediums. And they always cause me to constantly keep thinking and thinking about all these different characters and plot points and things that I enjoy. And then they inspire me to go off and, create things that I hope inspires other people and that they can sit down and enjoy. Yeah. I, I, I certainly wouldn't um, class it as either a good or a bad answer. It's your answer. And I, and I think that's, <laughs> uh, that's, that's the only answer we can give if we're being honest with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to, talking more about the, the technical aspect of the, to the podcast then, the the thing that struck me immediately now i'm i'm of an age where um yes i did have a cassette player um yes i did have a, a record player pre cds and all of that you know so i'm of an age where i recall some of these um radio shows not in the first run of course you know yeah. many many reruns i'm not quite that old uh, but you've captured the atmosphere the essence of them um yes you've got all of the yeah, the, the high clarity on the recordings and all that, but it's the essence that you've captured. And, you know, if you're trying to create, you know, mem memorability or nostalgia, sorry, nostalgia is the right word. If you're trying to create nostalgia, it's essence and spirit, which is far more important than high fidelity and, you know, the, the quality of an MP3 or a podcast platform. So uh, I, th I think that's a really, really good point to say to you. How did you do that? How did you get to the point? where you're foleying in sound effects the way that it sounds like 
they used to, you know, proper physical sound effects. You're going to tell me now you do the sound effects physically, <laughs> and I'm going to be damn impressed or not. So, so how did you, how did you design that sound? How did you say, this is the sound for us? And then how do you repeat that episode by episode by episode? Sure. So uh, initially with Foley, it's uh, some of it is done in studio and some of it I use a website called Freesound um, <laughs> and generally CCO stuff that I can find on there. Because sometimes like I, I don't know where the nearest train station is. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be able to go <laughs> capture the sound of a train because I, yeah. I don't know where they are. Um, at least from here. I mean, there's Google and Google Maps and whatnot at this point. But uh, in season five, there's the sound of a whole bunch of just bugs crawling throughout the skin and just this kind of sizzling sound as their little insect legs move underneath um, the flesh of the main character. And that sound effect is bacon frying. Oh, fantastic. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's bacon frying, but it, it feels like there's yeah. actually like little insects crawling in your ears. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because Foley is a lot of the times just these different things, these different everyday things that if you just play with the pitch a little bit or just record it the right way, it sounds like something else completely. It's audio illusions, isn't it? It's uh, If you ever watch it ever watch a foley artist at work they they are complete magicians you yeah know, it's um you know that the head chop is uh something hitting a cabbage and you think to yourself mm -hmm. well what else would it be because <laughs> you can't obviously hit somebody on the head yeah yeah no it oh God, just the everyday items that are used to make these sounds um just uh, like crinkling a paper to make fire it's it's insane to me at least um but i i when i went in i edited everything uh, as normally as i could and you know in 2018 for the lodges my first episode that was on a video editor because i didn't know what audacity was <laughs> and so it was you know I, I was trying to use a video editor to do all of this um but slowly as i learned more and more about audio and audacity uh, and eventually audition is what i use now i learned that there is a if you go in, you edit it normally, and then you go ahead and uh, when you record, you just lower the quality a little bit, because what happens is over time, um, depending on how the sound is recorded, it can degrade. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what will give it some of that older quality, but also a lot of the times speakers aren't as good as they are today. And recording devices aren't as good as you as they are today. So keeping in mind that when you're creating an old-time radio drama, the the sound is you're probably going to be recording on modern equipment. It's all going to sound great. And really, what it is is a filter that you put over top of everything on the pre-master track, and you know it does that. And there's a couple of different ways to actually apply the filter um i've got audacity open right now uh i believe with audacity you can export the project yeah that's what it is you export the project instead of at forty-four thousand hertz 16,000. Oh, um, okay. and if you don't like sixteen thousand, you can jump up to twenty-two thousand, um and that makes it sound a little bit more like 1960s late mm. late 50s yeah. uh sixteen thousand makes it sound a little bit more 30s uh, 40s too, and then 11,000 or 8,000 start getting to you know when audio was first able yeah. to be recorded. <laughs> but but the the wonderful thing about that though is that, that your commitment to the to the feel of the podcast is such that you've actually done that experimentation, you've done the research, you've gone out and found how to do it, and then you've applied that to your to your podcast. Has anybody? Uh, do you, well, sorry. Is there anybody in your family who's old enough to remember the original radio shows? And has anyone ever done a compare and contrast with one of yours? Because that would be fascinating. That's a good thought. Just, yeah, if you've got somebody to listen to one of yours, do like a blind listening test and mm -hmm. just say to them, you know, play, play five minutes of one from the 1930s, five minutes of one of yours, which one feels real? And I think they'd be really hard pushed to tell the difference. 
Yeah, they're, I mean, my grandparents are still around. They're baby boomers and were around, you know, more 50s, um, late 40s into the 50s. So they probably caught a lot of that stuff on the tail end because you had audio dramas going into the 60s and they're still around today. Um, BBC makes a lot of them. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I could easily ask them and see if they have any friends around that I could. Yeah, it, That's a really great be, idea. It'd just be something for you because because to, to, to my ear, and you know, it's not a professional ear, but to my ear, you've caught the essence. You know, I, I can imagine somebody um, who is familiar with the original radio players feeling quite comfortable listening to your radio players and not having that that juxtaposition of the old and new i think it would it would it would blend and i think that that is a high praise to you that your uh, love of the of the of the genre um is to is so high that you wanted to make it as close to the original as possible because you could have quite easily just gone uh talking to a microphone talking to a microphone here's a story <laughs> put a name on it throw it out and somebody would have consumed it but what you've done is you've taken that extra layer and you've actually put the love over the top of it. So well done. You know, that's it's great to it's great to think that there are people still with that level of of care to their output, you know, because so much nowadays is disposable. It's do it quick, throw it out there, do it quick, throw it out there. Um, so yeah, well done, mate. That's because and it shows that you're very proficient with audio now, because as I mentioned to you before we started recording, the actual stereo image that you're operating in. And where you're putting the foley in is fantastic. It's really good. There's, there's quite a few uh, moments where you've got moving uh, cars or, or moving sounds. And I just love that. That's one of those things that caught me about those radio plays, that that illusion, that audio illusion again of physical movement. And you've captured that as well. So well done. Love it. Thank you. Yeah, it's great. Really good. So where's season seven going to take us then? Is it is it going to be a ghost story? It is. The The story is about somebody who is struggling with the inability to do anything. Um, the, the simplest way to put it is I, I am going to go with that story of a father with his family. And at the end of the like third or fourth episode, he dies. And so the next eight episodes of the season are all about him in this just ghost realm, this ethereal realm, and watching his family move on and struggle with his death and watching them, you know, go off and graduate high school or college and have these life achievements. And even though he's there, he's not there. And so it's it's something that I've learned in my own life is that you can't control anything. Really. The only thing you can control is yourself. Um, you know, I, I can't control what you're going to say. I can't control what you're going to do. If you wanted to just end the call right now, you could, um, and, and that's <laughs> yeah. out of my control. And so, and, and that's something that I think is one of the hardest things to understand as a creative, because you put your stuff out there, that's it. You, you can't change somebody's opinion about it you know they'll listen to it and they're gonna go i hate it i like it and you can't do that because we all come from different walks of life and all <laughs> you know all these different areas and you have to take it if people don't like it then learn where you can improve and make it better and make it awesome um and then if it's already great figure out how to make it better make it awesome <laughs> like you know we never stop learning and growing and so this next season is really going to be about that, just trying to be supportive of all these other people, despite the fact that you can't physically show your support. Um, I, yeah. might be, I might be pushing the, uh, our new friendship a little bit far with this question, but <laughs> tell me if I am. So you, you said that other seasons have been influenced by where you were. Um, mm -hmm mental health in your headspace and we've been through a couple of them what is it that inspired or drove you towards season seven so this previous season is about imposter syndrome and it's about basically this your, your life being planned in front of you and you going i don't like that plan i'm just gonna 
go over here and do something completely different and then dealing with the fallout of that um, because that's that can be really difficult. And so as I was finishing up that season, I realized reflecting on my own life, there was a lot of times where I was stuck in the place that I was at. There, there wasn't a lot of stuff that I could do. Um, and what has been happening more so lately is now since I've graduated college, it's been a year and I don't know what to do. Like I, my entire life has been so focused around academics, so focused around high school and so focused around college and getting to that degree and, you know, finding a nine to five to work at that I actually didn't go into a nine to five. I made it my, my own business and started freelancing for other people. And I, I don't know what my next life goals are, you know, have a wife and get married and have kids. Okay. Well, that's, <laughs> that happens <laughs> at some point, you know, that's, that's not something I can go, okay, well, it's been four years and now I have a piece of paper for it. Um, and I realized that I was powerless. Um, I couldn't change whatever the future hold, uh, held and that I had to continue moving forward and let that, you know, fall, I wouldn't say fall into my lap, but mm. align, let that align down my path that I can't keep thinking years upon years forward into the future because then it leaves me here going, I don't know how I'm going to get there. Like I, I'm stuck. I can't do anything. Um, and one of the other things that combines with that was watching. Um, I had a death of a friend in the past two years and then watching some of my friends and family make interesting choices where you know, it's not my place to step in and say, hey, that's stupid or hey, that's a great <laughs> idea. Like, yeah. you know, it, because you can only control yourself. And ultimately you need, you know, the more that you support people and love people, the more that that love gets shown to other people and it, you know, gets spread. And so it's hard to sit on the sidelines sometime and, you know, know that somebody's going to break up with each other or know that they won't be successful, but you have to support them and be powerless to change because ultimately they're going to have to learn that for themselves if you don't know that water is hot until you stick your hand well i mean i guess you got <laughs> boiling bubbles that come up but you know you don't yeah. know that like the black top is hot on yeah, a yeah. summer's day until you put your hand on it and you go yeah. oh well, I just burned my hand, but it doesn't look hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's it's funny that you you talked about being powerless that things happen, but you've when you've completed a season, when you've recorded, when you put it out there, you must have that that feeling of power in that moment that your creation is there. That those things that have influenced it's you writing it have been, I suppose, exercised to some degree have been put into characters, have been put into situations and then put out into the world? Yeah. Um, a, a lot of the characters that I write are reflective of me, my family, and my friends. And so when situations occur to them, naturally not the monsters and ghosts and demons <laughs> and whatever else shows up. But like, I, as a kid, I moved from Maryland to Georgia to Georgia to Ohio. And when I moved from Georgia to Ohio, that was terrible. And I was a kid. I lost all my friends. And, you know, I went into elementary school. It, the elementary school overfilled. I got shipped to a different elementary school. Oh, that, you know, my previous one was fine. And then I came back to that elementary school. And it was just so much movement and change. So to go back to It Came From Down the Stairs, season three, um, I think that's one of my first episodes where I just feel it and i'm so ridiculously proud about it because it's about a girl who moves with her parents to this small town in maine um and she is struggling to fit in to find anywhere to go and every night she hears her parents fighting and they're in the beginning parts of a divorce but she can't comprehend that so she thinks that they're fighting a monster to protect her and so you know, the, the more that they fight, the more that she believes this and the more that she believes this whole moving was a bad idea. Um, it was hard to make friends. The friend that I did make is kind of weird and strange. <laughs> and, you know, it eventually leads to her 
mind physically creating the monster after her parents go to bed and she has to go fight it herself. Yeah. Um, and that reflects a lot of my own childhood. Like I was afraid of my basement and would have nightmares about my basement. And that's where the idea of it came from down the stairs came from because I remember as a kid moving to Ohio to this new house and looking down the basement at nighttime and it's just dark. And my <laughs> mind goes, oh, what a great my what a great time for like some six-legged beast with multiple sharpened teeth and yeah. you know three red eyes to just start stepping up the stairs towards me. And just think uh, if and, you were in a, if you were in a oh, Hollywood slasher film, you'd go into the basement to see that six-legged beast. Yeah. Just to see what exactly. it's like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, I gotta go turn on the light and see if yeah. it's actually there yeah. or not. Oh, oh it is. Well, yeah. The light's not <laughs> working. I'll still look with the with the tiny little flashlight on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops, I tripped. <laughs> yeah. Who put that log there? Why is there a log in the basement? <laughs> uh, uh, that is seriously lazy writing. That really is. <laughs> oh god. So what's your what are your aspirations then for the show? Because obviously it's it is something that is in my opinion, it's going to be bigger than just you because the the reach of it, the, the stories are they're so easy to connect with. You know, everybody can listen to it and pull an element of the story out as to something that matters to them. So yeah. where do you want to take it next? So my goal is to, one of the great things about retrospection is that it's based off of a lot of conversations I've had with family and friends these characters, since they're based off of them and their life events, I, I had to have those conversations, some of those harder conversations with people to learn that about them. And of course, with their permission before I you know, go off and make a character based off them. Um, and so I think what I want retrospection to continue doing and uh, continue moving towards is the sense of realism of these are everyday people um, who, uh, like season five is about Elliot Cooper, who is in no rights interesting whatsoever. Um, <laughs> he's just a boring nine to five guy. He finished college and, and that's it. And he meets a lady and it makes him become more interesting, but then he loses her and he goes back to the person that he was. But is that really a bad thing in the first place? Um, so I, I want these stories to feel so real that people can keep connecting to them because ultimately it doesn't matter to me if there's one person who listens and it's just my dad and he's listening and he you know finds a moment here and there that goes oh that's great or if it's 500 billion people and they're all listening and they're like wow this is amazing yeah, yeah. um I, I i don't really care about the praise of others i care about it impacting somebody because there's so many stories out there that have impacted me in you know great ways and bad ways also um, like when you finish a book and you just you, you close the back cover and you just sit there for a moment, and you go, oh, now what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's over. Do, do I just reread this or like should I find another one? Like what happens now? Um, and I really want my stories to have that type of impact on somebody where they're so attached that at the end they just go, oh. <laughs> what, what do I do now? Like, should I try these things they talked about in the story in my own life, or should I just move on? Uh, what happens? I don't know. Yeah, I think, I think you're definitely going to find people connect with these stories because they are so engrossing. It's you, you really are brought into that the soundscape to the characters. It's it's phenomenal work. So, do you think then? I suppose that there's all there's always my mind going, "Ooh, where can this go? Where can this go?" Wouldn't it be lovely if somebody came to you and said, do you want to make a TV show of these? Oh, yeah. If somebody were to walk up, even just for the radio drama in general, if somebody with like a similar creative thought were to walk up to me and go, hey, do you want some help making the episodes? Or like, do you want to just sit down and talk about what the next season could be? I'd go, yeah, easily. Like, I I, I don't care how my work is adapted, um, if it stays audio only if it gets you know if it gets the limetown treatment you know if whatever happens i'm just happy to get to do it um and the more people around the happier i am if they're helping me wonderful if they're not they're just listening awesome if they don't know about it but they're living their lives then that's great too yeah. 
So, so looking away from the work that you do, then let's have a, a quick look at the work of others. Which kind of writers? Which kind of uh, performers? Are there any anyone in particular that has inspired you? Yeah, there's a lot of different people, and uh, similar to the way the podcast is, and you can hear that it's the different seasons of my life. Um, the different seasons are inspired by different writings. Um, growing up, I was huge into Star Trek and Lord of the Rings, and so this massive world building <laughs> is something that's been kind of ever present. Um, where in the first seasons it was an anthology kind of set throughout different places, sometimes fictional places. And now pretty much everything takes place in the fictional town of Madison, Maine. Um, and so it's, it, it changes. At first I was really inspired by plays because that's what I was a part of. And so the audio dramas I was listening to were more early audio dramas that were play-like and they were more dialogue driven so you'll notice that like if you listen to the lodges it's the main character who's narrating and most of the stuff he says is to other people around him or he's describing it as he walks like oh man i'm freezing my hands off out here <laughs> so chilly um and, and it was really inspired by that but as i continued moving forward when i hit season four um, I was going back and listening to a lot more Orson Welles and stuff that happened after Orson Welles. And Orson Welles did this thing where everyone, everything previously had been more dialogue, play written. He came in and he said, all right, narrator. And the narrator became such a major force within the scripts and were generally was a part of the script and was a character being impacted by it. But was the scripts were more narrative focused as opposed to dialogue focused dialogue still happened but not as much and so season four took that idea and kept on with that um and then it was around that time my dad discovered old gods of appalachia and i started listening to that um with him and um i, I liked the narrative fiction style of podcasting where it's basically an audio drama with or not an audio drama an audiobook with some dialogue here and there, um, but it takes elements from audio drama and it, um, you know, underscores music or sound effects or something like that as the narrator is basically reading and doing character voices. And so season five was heavily inspired by that, um, this idea that the, the narrator um, is more of an audiobook reader than he is an audio dramatist. Uh, and I liked that, but I also really like hearing other people. So with this season, I returned more to an Orson Welles style where the narrator is such a huge um, force, um, but this time the narrator is not actually part of the story itself. He's just reading through all of it, and the characters are around, and as the narrator describes it, they're going into dialogue scenes in there talking and you know all of that um and the reason i went back to that uh was because i was taking a few marketing courses and i was realizing that a lot of the people i like to watch on youtube or twitch or you know wherever i consume media some of my favorite people to watch are really personal and really lovable good caring people and so i started thinking more about well how is this how could I make it so that way the character of Noah Martin, the narrator, and the real-life person of Noah Martin, the narrator, just kind of begin to blend and twist together a little bit? Um, and so I am continuing working forward with that, of making the narrator be just me. Because, um, you know, I... I, I like to think I have a good personality um, <laughs> where, you know, people can listen to me and just a, a lot of people listen to podcasts and enjoy interview podcasts or enjoy talk show podcasts um, because the podcasters start to feel like friends. You get so used to them and they're talking and all of that. And I realized that as a narrator, I want to be their friend. I, I want to be there to tell them a great story, but I also want to be there to 
Um, in season five, I ask a lot of questions, like something will happen to a character and then I'll take a step back and just directly address the audience and be like, <laughs> what do you think? Because, you know, sometimes it's not great to just uh, step on Legos repeatedly because you're angry, <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> whatever's happening there. Um, so yes, it, my writings change depending on what content I'm consuming. That's good. that's good though because the, the truly great creative minds accept change, and and they flex. So you know you, you look at your your great writers; they all haven't, or they they all didn't uh, write in the same style all of the time. Uh, great musicians, great painters. So it's it's that ability to recognize that your creative muscle needs to be exercised, and rep yeah. repetition isn't necessarily the best exercise for it. So Noah, thank you thank you very much for your time tonight it's um i think one thing i've got to say is thank you for being so open about your journey um about the the, the creative process about the the highs and lows of that for you i'll put all of your uh, social medias on the uh, details for the podcast episode so everyone can come and tag along uh is there anything else that you'd like to say before we leave uh, just thank you for having me and being willing to listen and getting me out to an audience where, you know, they can listen to. I hope that there's somebody out there who's interested and, uh, you know, that this might impact someone in their creative process and they can get better from it. Yeah, I, I am absolutely 100% confident that people are going to listen to your work and recognize the quality in it and recognize the the strength in the storytelling. And I think that is, it's all power to you, sir. So thank you yet again. Thanks for creating it in the first place. <laughs> uh, and thanks for letting us share this time with you and share, you know, your work. So thank you very, very much.